Welcome to the Queen Player, a lifestyle podcast. Get inspired by our latest tips and information about small business, entrepreneurship, natural hair, travel, food, and even relationships. Stay tuned for another great episode. I am your host, Renee Patrice. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into my podcast once again. It is Memorial Day, and I wanted to I wanted to keep at the forefront the origins of Memorial Day uh, because they are rooted in Black history. And just in case people didn't know, Black history is a part of American history. And I also wanted to mention another major. Incident. I don't even want to call it an incident because it was not an incident. It's the Tulsa Race Massacre um, that went on in 1921. Today is the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre. But I first wanted to talk about the roots of Memorial Day. Um, Memorial Day was actually started by former slaves um, on May 1st. 1865 in South Carolina, I believe Charleston, South Carolina. They were honoring over 200 fallen Union soldiers um, who had been buried in a mass grave on a Confederate prison camp. Um, The bodies were exhumed and for two weeks they worked to give each of these 200, over 200, I believe 257 uh, fallen soldiers, proper burial. And it was all not only just to give them proper burial, but to show their gratitude for them fighting for their freedom. Uh, Then a parade was held by over 10,000 people, and it was led by 2,800 young black children. They marched, celebrated, sang. This is the origin. This is one of the earliest known uh, Memorial Day remembrances or celebrations, as it were. And I know Memorial Day can bring people down because it's to it's to um, remember our fallen soldiers, you know, men and women. Um, it doesn't matter what branch they served, but it's to remember soldiers that passed um, while serving. And I think a lot of people get Memorial Day mixed up with like, you know, other military holidays, but that's what Memorial Day is for. So just know, black community and anybody else who's listening, because I have listeners from all over the world, Memorial Day was started by former slaves. And that was back in 1865. So it's kind of interesting to get that piece of history and the fact that it's not taught in school. 
<laughs> surely wasn't taught when I was going to school. And I don't think any of my younger uh, family members, younger than me, my sister, cousins and everything, you know, um, they learn nothing about this. So I feel like I have a great platform that I can share things like this and make people aware. So uh, definitely thinking of our fallen soldiers, um, anyone who has passed while they were serving. Memorial Day is definitely uh, definitely the, the thing that should bring us together on that point. So the next thing I wanted to go over was the Tulsa Race Massacre. If you are not aware, and I posted it to my social media earlier today, and there were so many people, especially black people, who had no idea about this, or they have heard of Black Wall Street, but they never knew the the um, the horrific end that came to Black Wall Street. So I'm going to talk some things through, read through a couple of things, and then have a little discussion about it, or a little commentary about it. Um, during the Tulsa Race Massacre, which occurred over 18 hours from May 31st to June 1st, 1921, a white mob attacked residents, homes, and businesses in the predominantly black Greenwood neighborhood of Tulsa, Oklahoma. The event remains one of the worst incidents of racial violence in United States history, and for a period of time remained one of the least known. News reports were largely squelched, despite the fact that hundreds of people were killed and thousands left homeless. In much of the country, the years following World War I saw a spike in racial tensions, including the resurgence of the white supremacist group, the Ku Klux Klan. Numerous lynchings and other acts of racially motivated violence, as well as efforts by African Americans to prevent such attacks on their communities. By 1921, fueled by oil money, Tulsa was growing. It was a growing, prosper prosperous city with a population of more than 100,000 people. But crime rates were high and vigilante justice of all kinds wasn't uncommon. Tulsa was also a highly segregated city. Most of the city's 10,000 black residents lived in a neighborhood called Greenwood. This included a thriving business district, also referred to as the Black Wall Street. On May 30th, 1921, a young black teenager named Dick Rowland entered an elevator at the Drexel Building, an office building on South Main Street. At some point after that, the young white elevator operator, Sarah Page, screamed. Rowland fled the scene. The police were called, and the next morning, they arrested Rowland. Now, as the story goes on, Basically, she had accused him of sexually harassing her. Um, 
by that time, rumors of what supposedly happened on the elevator circulated through the city's white community. A front page story in the Tulsa Tribune that afternoon reported that police had arrested Roland for sexually assaulting Page. As evening fell, an angry white mob was gathering outside the courthouse demanding the sheriff hand over Roland. Sheriff Willard McCullough refused as his men barricaded the top floor to protect the black teenager. Around 9 p.m., a group of about 25 armed black men, including many World War I veterans, went to the courthouse to offer help guarding Roland. After the sheriff turned them away, some of the white mob tried to unsuccessfully to break into the National Guard armory nearby. With rumors still flying of a possible lynching, a group of around 75 armed black men returned to the courthouse shortly after 10 p.m., where they were met by some 1,500 white men, some of whom also carried weapons. After shots were fired and chaos broke out, the outnumbered group of black men retreated to Greenwood. Over the next several hours, groups of white Tulsans, some of whom were deputized and even given weapons by city officials, committed numerous acts of violence against black people, including shooting an unarmed man in a movie theater. The false belief that a large-scale insurrection among black Tulsans was underway including reinforcements from nearby towns and cities with large African-American populations, fueled the growing hysteria. As dawn broke on June 1st, thousands of white citizens poured into the Greenwood District, looting and burning homes and businesses over an area of 35 city blocks. Firefighters who arrived to help put out fires later testified that rioters had threatened them with guns and forced them to leave. According to a later Red Cross estimate, some 1,256 houses were burned, 215 others were looted but not torched, two newspapers, a school, a library, a hospital, churches, hotels, stores, and many other Black-owned businesses were among the buildings destroyed or damaged by fire. By the time the National Guard arrived and Governor J.B.A. Robertson had declared martial law shortly before noon, the riot had effectively ended. Though guardsmen helped to put out fires, they also imprisoned many Black Tulsans. And by June 2nd, some 6,000 people were under armed guard at the local fairgrounds. In the hours after the Tulsa Race Massacre, all charges against Dick Rowland were dropped. The police concluded that Rowland had most likely stumbled into Paige or stepped on her foot. Kept safely under guard in the jail during the riot, he left Tulsa the next morning and reportedly never returned. The Oklahoma Bureau of Vital Statistics officially recorded 36 dead. A 2001 state commission 
examination of events was able to confirm 36 dead, 26 black, and 10 white. However, historians estimate the death toll may have been as high as 300. Even by low estimates, the Tulsa Race Massacre stood as one of the deadliest riots in U.S. history, behind only the New York Draft Riots of 1863, which killed at least 113 people. In the years to come, as Black Tulsans worked to rebuild their ruined homes and businesses, segregation in the city only increased, and Oklahoma's newly established branch of the KKK grew in strength. For decades, there were no public ceremonies, memorials for the dead, or any effort to commemorate the events of May 31st through June 1st, 1921. Instead, there was a deliberate effort to cover them up. The Tulsa Tribune removed the front page story of May 31st that sparked the chaos from its bound volumes. And scholars later discovered that police and state militia archives about the riot were missing as well. As a result, until recently, the Tulsa Race Massacre was rarely mentioned in history books, taught in schools, or even talked about. Scholars began to delve deeper into the story of the riots in the 1970s, after its 50th anniversary had passed. In 1996, on the riot's 75th anniversary, a service was held at the Mount Zion Baptist Church, which rioters had burned to the ground, and a memorial was placed in front of Greenwood Cultural Center. Tulsa Race Riot Commission established and renamed. So the following year, after an official state government commission was created to investigate the Tulsa riot, Scientists and historians began looking into the long-ago stories, including numerous victims buried in unmarked graves. In 2001, the report of the Race Riot Commission concluded that between 100 and 300 people killed and more than 8,000 people were made homeless over those 18 hours in 1921. A bill in the Oklahoma State Senate requiring that all Oklahoma high schools teach the Tulsa race riot failed to pass in 2012, with its opponents claiming schools were already teaching their students about the riot. According to the State Department of Education, it has required the topic in Oklahoma history classes since 2000 and U.S. history classes since 2004. And the incident has been included in Oklahoma history books since 2009. In November 2018, the 1921 Race Riot Commission was officially renamed the 1921 Race Massacre Commission. Although the dialogue about the reasons and effects of the term riot versus massacre are very important and encouraged, said Oklahoma State Senator Kevin Matthews. The feelings and interpretation of those who experienced this devastation as well as current area residents and historical scholars have led us 
to more appropriately change the name to the 1921 Race Massacre Commission. This was a reading from history.com. And I also want to tell people about a movie that I watched uh, last night, as a matter of fact. I believe it premiered last night, uh, called Tulsa Burning. And it is probably the best um, layout of everything that went on, giving you backstory of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the Greenwood District, and bringing it, you know, to current day. But it's called Tulsa Burning, the 1921 Race Massacre, and it is on the History Channel. If you don't have the History Channel, don't know what cables and all you guys have, if you don't have the History Channel, you can go to history.com, so www.history.com, and search for Tulsa Burning, the 1921 Race Massacre. And you can actually watch the entire thing online. Um... Listen, (laughs) there is so much that has changed over the years and there there there's so much that hasn't. And it's unbelievable to me that even me reading this, you know, article from the history, history history.com, that some of these changes were just made 10, 11 years ago you know, for something that happened a hundred years ago. And it's really, um, it's mind boggling, really. You know, people will say, well, there's certain things that don't happen anymore, no lynchings. And, you know, well, let let me do a little bit of backtracking on the the lynching situation. Let, Let me go back to that. First of all, lynching is not just hanging. What we saw happen to... Uh, Ahmad Arbery, that was a lynching. Lynching means mob mentality, going after someone in a mob fashion, especially being racially motivated. So don't think that it doesn't happen today. Don't think that um, George Floyd, that we did not watch that on national television Don't think that that was not a lynching. Don't think that Eric Garner was not a lynching, because it was. Again, look up the definition of lynching. It is not just hangings. Going through everything that we have as a country, as the world, really, being in a global pandemic, and it's still happening, it's still going on, Um, you would think that this would bring out the better side of people, and there would be less of some of the racial tensions and things that, that we have seen, just because globally we have all been made to sit down and stay still for a minute you know we're just now starting to turn the corner and only because vaccines are available you know um, vaccines have been available almost six months now and still we're just creeping up to half 
of the American people who have been vaccinated. And I, I will talk more about vaccinations and all of that in a, in a different um, in a different episode because I want to keep this to you know the Memorial Day aspect. But we have got to do better as a people, as human beings, the Black community, especially our Black and Latino communities, because that's what I know, and that's what's around me, and that's what I grew up in. So I have to speak directly to us first. We have got to do better. We've got to do better with educating our youth about things like this. We have to do better about taking care of each other. We have to do better about supporting each other. The one thing that I absolutely loved, and I I implore you to watch this movie, is because you will see the bustling black community. It's incredible. These were some of the richest, I don't want to say rich because rich sounds cheap, wealthy, wealthy. These were black people that had wealth. Wealth Being rich is for here and for now. Wealth, generational wealth, is exactly that. It stretches generations. You're leaving legacy. If you own a home, and I know it's been tough for a lot of people to hang on to their houses and foreclosures are happening because of the pandemic. Listen, if you are renting somewhere and somebody's home is fit... Put together your resources. Put together your resources so that you can help save somebody's home. We all want to have our own little place over here, over here, you know, all this kind of stuff. Listen, all these stimulus checks that y'all got, if you're in one household with four people, that's four stimulus checks of $1,400 a piece. I was just talking to a good friend of mine and she said that one of the one of the ladies on her job, you know, you get the stimulus checks according to how many kids you have, all of that. She got over $7,000 and blew it on a vacation that they couldn't even really enjoy because they the vaccinations weren't happening yet, so they had to quarantine for part of the time. So you wasted this. When I think about the first time that I bought a home, my down payment was less than $7,000. And this is a person who constantly complains about not being able to get ahead. $7,000, over $7,000, that was a nice down payment on something. Even if it was a condo that you Airbnb or whatever, And I know people want to have the nice house and spread out and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? Sometimes we got to learn how to sleep on some some couches and some blow-up beds to save money. And people are like, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, you do what you need to do for a short amount of time so that you can live the way you want to live for the long haul. You know what I mean? Live on the ramen noodles for a little while so you can do the surf and turf forever and pass that down to family, your children, younger cousins, whatever. 
that's what that should be for. That's, that's, that's legacy. That's generational wealth. I tell you, my parents didn't grow up with all these financial, you know, um, financial help and the Susie Ormans and the, you know, Tiffany, you know, Aliches and, you know, all of our, our, our gurus who are money gurus and all that kind of stuff. But I will tell you right now, at the very least, my dad had it in the back of his mind. Like, listen, this house is getting paid off. And that was the one thing that he promised that he was going to do. And he had a regular job. He wasn't making no big money. He had a regular middle class job and he worked double and triple shifts at his job so that he could pay off a 30 year mortgage in 18 years. So at least I know my mom knows, my sister knows, God rest my dad's soul, he passed on three years ago. We know that we have that piece of property. All else goes left, we have that piece of property. And it's in a hot area. People want to buy that property so bad, they don't even know what to do. You have to create legacy. Nobody, most people these days, other than the 1% that has this, you know, big money, people are not leaving, you know, stacks and, and, and racks of cash. But if you have a house, if you have a car that's paid off, when all else fails, you can liquefy it and take care of whatever you need to do. We have to be smart, smarter with how we create generational wealth. We have to be smarter on how we support each other's businesses. People always say all the time, oh, you know what you got going on, what you got going on. You see what I got going on. You can go right to my website and check out everything that I got going on. I've talked about so many different things. I have a t-shirt line, a full clothing line that is to come. I'm working on creating web content, television content that's coming this fall. There's a lot of stuff. But do we really support each other? Are we really having each other's back? I told a friend of mine the other day, I expect nothing from any, I don't expect anything from anyone because it just lessens the disappointment. And she was like, oh, you shouldn't have that attitude. I said, no, excuse me. It's not um, about being negative at all. I don't expect anything. So when something does come to me or people say they want to support, then I'm like, cool. It's just that much better. So we have to do better at that. Don't just talk about supporting people. Actually do it. Because let me tell you something. 
Greenwood, that place was a Mecca. And I'm telling you, y'all need to watch this movie because you will see it, it was just amazing. These black people, 10,000 residents of this area said, okay, they're segregated. We were in our own spot. We're going to make our own little Mecca right here. And white supremacy and the thought processes thereof didn't like it. They didn't like it at all. And decided that it had to go. And to see Greenwood today, if anybody has been to Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, I was there maybe like 10 years ago or so. And if you see the area of where all of this went down, most of it is just kind of grassland and, you know, streets and stuff like that. But this was a place that was lined wall to wall with businesses. If you see old pictures, any of my people from New York, and you know how New York has different areas and the different boroughs where you can just shop. If anybody's from Queens, like me, everybody knows Jamaica Avenue. And you don't even have to be from Queens to know Jamaica Avenue. Everybody in New York City, when you talk about shopping in Queens, Jamaica Avenue is where it's at. Because it is just this long strip of store after store after store and businesses, mostly black and brown people. So just imagine Jamaica Avenue all the way to Hollis, all the way down to Sutphin, whatever. Imagine all of that just going up in flames because that's what happened in Tulsa in 1921. We have got to take care of each other way better than we have. But I wanted to put that out there. I wanted to just give, a, you know, I'm no history buff or anything, but I do love documentaries and, you know, that, that educate me. And once I feel like I've been educated on something, I bring it to the masses. And the masses are my audience, my platform. And I've got people from all over the world who listen to this podcast. And you have, and if you're listening to this, you have access to the web. So I implore you to go to www.history.com and you will see the article that I read through and look up the movie Tulsa Burning. You can also watch it online. If you want to continue this conversation, you know what to do. Feel free to email me, info at Onyx Queen Media. I am at Onyx, O-N-Y-X, Queen, Q-U-E-E-N, M-E-D-I-A, at Onyx Queen Media on all socials. And tag me on your social medias. Tag me on things that you want me to talk about. Tag me when you repost. I see some reposts of my podcast or even reposts of my business stuff, which I so appreciate. 
Um, sometimes I run into my things being reposted, but sometimes you guys don't tag me. So make sure that you tag me so I can see it and acknowledge you and, you know, repost it. And I'll repost you in my stories. Okay. Um, at Onyx Queen Media on all socials. I'll talk to you soon, you guys. Bye.